0: to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning For more information or to contact us visit c3church.narara.net Thanks God. Give someone a high five Share the love Morning, everyone. Wonderful to be in church. Look, I'll just show show you how you do it. I don't remember what I said. (laughs) I mean, who shoves their own glasses in their eye? Most people know where their eye is without looking frosty. Like. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We're all learning. Bless the Lord. I am very grateful for my wonderful husband. Hallelujah. Great to see you all this morning. Everybody looking great? Graham's there. It's my biggest fan. He's my new fan. <laughs> very exciting to preach the word of God to down me. Looking forward to it. Isaiah 60 and verse 2 says this. Look darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples but the lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you every tribe and nation needs jesus desperately desperately every person needs to be saved in order to be prosperous and blessed and happy jesus is the light of the world and without jesus There is darkness, real darkness. Without Jesus in our culture, with no Jesus at all, in these pagan and tribal cultures, it is thick, gross and ugly darkness. Don't be deceived. Without Jesus in a culture, we live in a culture where there's still so much of Jesus and so much of Christian influence. But without that, there is thick and gross darkness darkness which we will hear about today and when the gospel came to Australia it was clearly God's plan for Australia not only to be a mission field but to be a springboard for missions so I have had so much fun reading about the amazing missionary work that has gone on in the past and I will be focusing on the past but obviously it's still going on today just an incredible work of missions from this amazing nation. Acts 1.8 says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. That's us, everyone. Back in those days. They they didn't even know about Australia when they wrote that. That was just like the ends of the earth. That's what they called us, just the ends of the earth. And when the power of God comes on us, we are his witnesses. We shine that light for him. We have the treasure inside of us that is a great light for the peoples around us. And it's our job to shine that light, not to hide it under a bush or not to hide it away to ourselves, but to shine that light and be that light. And I'm so inspired by these men and women of God who came to do that in Australia. So I'll begin by talking a little bit about the mission to Australia. Now we know our first pastor and preacher and church builder, Richard Johnson, remember that name, we're creating new heroes here. He had his ministry to convicts, to settlers, but also to Indigenous people and he said this I wish to see the heathen brought to the knowledge of Christianity and hope for all the ends of the earth to believe and rejoice in the salvation of God so from the very beginning that first he was the first uh, pastor here or in Australia white pastor and their heart was for the indigenous people to be saved. And that was actually written also in the official documents that they, you know, to be kind to the natives as they called them and to to teach them their ways. Uh, Unfortunately, of course, it was a terrible clash of cultures and we know sadly that um, not everybody had the heart of Richard Johnson who came. A lot of the early settlers decided that they wanted that land and they just pushed them off the land, often taking their women and killing them and of course they had terrible diseases out the diseases that we brought that we were okay with but it it just was disastrous and as um, my friend Gribble wrote dark deeds in a sunny land there was a lot that was bad there's no doubt about it in fact I must say doing this research I think I've discovered it was worse than I thought (laughs) I actually have I sort of thought yeah I know there were terrible things that happened but when you read about it it's like especially that book Dark Deeds in a Sunny Land was written by um, <clears throat> John Brown Gribble and he, he, he's a missionary so he was you know he had he was just trying to fight for the rights of the um, Aboriginal people so there was a lot of terrible things that went on. And uh, I thought, as a matter of fact, I thought dear Katie was very gracious on us. (laughs) I wasn't quite sure which way we were going to go with with Katie. But she was very, that's just so sweet and so gracious um, to not sort of, as Chris was saying, not focus on the negatives. Um, But it's a common narrative today that the Christian missionaries joined in on this, in this slaughter often or stealing land and all of that and that they were harmful, but the evidence is totally, totally the opposite. I'm sure there were some missionaries that weren't great, just as there are today. But on the whole, the missionaries were the ones that were doing the best work for the native people in Australia, Aboriginals, First Nations. They were the ones that were loving them and trying to help them and save them. And it it fascinated me when I went out to Lake Kajelago, the… at Murrum Bridge, that they call it the mission. And I remember thinking, really, you still call it the mission? And all around Australia, they still use the word the mission. Mission. They like that. They, they have no problem with that word because in their history, it was the missionaries and the mission stations that was often a safe haven for them. And it was the missionaries that often fought for them. And even to this day, Mark, Mark Carfowler's got a great story about, you know, whether well, he's going to share, is he? he will share next week, about even today that word missionary and in amongst uh, a lot of indigenous people is, is a good word. Uh, so he'll share that next week. I won't steal it for you, Mark. <laughs> but um, yeah, they're very proud to use the word missions. And so what I'm going to do is just give you an example of some of the missions stations. So what happened was the, the, they tried to witness the Aboriginals. They were being forced off their land, dispossessed, pushed away by the settlers that were saying, no, no, we'll have this land, thank you very much. And they had nowhere to go. They were lost. They didn't know what to do. And it was the missionaries that gathered them together and tried to create, to help them. So John Brown Gribble, he, um, he said he admired the native nobility and the genuine kindness of the blacks, his word. He opened a mission in 1879 on the Murrumbidgee River. Sick and homeless Aborigines came there in their hundreds. And he was the one that wrote this book and exposed some of the appalling conditions of Aborigines in Western Australia. He wrote Dark Deeds in a Sunny Land. He was also, do you remember, he was the one that confronted Ned Kelly. (laughs) I love him. He was one of the only ones that stood up to the guy and told him to give back the particular item that he stole. His son, Ernest, also worked on a mission in Queensland, in Yoruba, for 18 years. The Lutherans established many missions. George Schwartz... Served in the Hope Valley Mission in Cooktown for 55 years. The Aborigines called him money, which means black, because even though he was white, Schwartz means black in German. So they called him black, money. And um, still celebrate the day of his arrival on the mission, and it's called Money Day in September. In... uh, Hermansburg Mission, again, a Lutheran missionary, Carl Strello, who's also very well known. He served there for 28 years. He, he again, also really encouraged Aboriginal language and culture. And in uh, 1902, Albert Namatjira was born there and he was baptised by Carl Strello. I don't know whether Albert continued to follow Jesus, but I do know that he's, uh, he's a great artist and that culture was encouraged by some of these early missionaries. Daniel Matthew brought his own land, he, with his own money, established a refuge for the Aboriginal people near Ukuka U- on the Murray River. He always spent time with them. He hunted and swam and fished with them. He had many conversions and many revivals amongst the people. The first conversion was Louisa and then her husband, Aaron Atkinson. Obviously, they're English names. And they were the grandparents. They, they had a long lineage of Christians, and they were the grandparents of Sir Doug Nichols. Born in the Mission in 1906, so Doug Nichols became a pastor and then the, he did quite a lot of things, which I won't go into, but eventually he became the governor of South Australia, the first and so far only indigenous governor in an Australian state. In uh, the Torres Strait Islanders, the, mich- the missionary reverend Samuel McFarlane, now it's interesting, he, he went to the Torres Strait Islanders Islands with, uh, with some other natives but we don't know their names, <laughs> so it's interesting. You know, sometimes you just the, – the white guys get the, the honour. But he went with some of his native friends <coughs> and uh, he landed at Arab Island on the 1st of July in 1871 and introduced Christianity to the region. He was welcomed by an elder whose name was Dabad and they accepted him and the, the introduction of Christianity led to profound changes that changed every aspect Of their life from this from up till now they still celebrate this day in the Torres Strait Islands it's called the coming of the light festival it's commemorated on the first of July the day that he arrived every year it's regarded as one of their national days activities include church services reenactment of landing hymn singing and feasting to this day and I Googled it, and, and sure enough, I don't even know if the people who are talking about it were saved. They're going, oh yeah, yeah, we have the Coming of the Light Festival and da-da-da. And I'm like, that is so cool and so countercultural to what we hear here. But they're like, no, no, we, we're celebrating the coming of the light days. Missionary societies were created, the United Aborigines Mission and the Aboriginal Inland Mission, so many, many missionaries went and lived and died along with the Aboriginal people and loved them to bits, and there's so many names here. They were usually accompanied by their wives, again, not named, whose faithful. this um, Pigan, who's my main resource, he says, their faithfulness is all the more commendable because it went largely unrecognised in their day. But we'll, we'll get to know them all. So um, of course, as the gospel went into all these mission stations and went in through all the people, The the First Nations people themselves were saved, and they became great missionaries. Again, not so many of them named, but we do know about Nathaniel Pepper, born in 1841, and he was an Aboriginal evangelist and teacher in the Wimmera district of Victoria. We've already heard about um, Sir, I can't remember his name now, Yeah, Doug Nichols, the, the governor. And uh, William Cooper from Maloga Mission near Ukuka. He was also an evangelist and activist. And then David Uneapon, who we know about. So I just happen to have this $50 bill. There he is. There's David. So he was born and educated in the Point McLeay Mission in South Australia. He got saved. He became a pastor and an inventor and a preacher. And he preached throughout Southeast Asia. And he would say this. Look at me and you will see what the Bible can do, a transformed life. Isn't that great? So many great things were happening and we just don't know about them. I didn't know that. I never knew. How many times have you held up a $50 bill and never known that the man there was a man of God, and an indigenous man of God? So many beautiful things and so many wonderful stories that we will hear about more when we when we go to heaven and meet them all so let's be confident let's know what a great job men and women of God have always done in Australia and it's really when I read when you go deep into the history it's no different from today there are just great men and women of God who are doing missionary work today but there's also horrible racists and nasty people in Australia that's Life is not that different. I mean, some things have changed, but there's always been good and evil. And we need to be really excited and confident about the the history that we have, the Christian history that is just so amazing. And be, be, you know, the word missionary, I remember when we were missionaries, And I remember when um, we went to a meeting with Pastor Phil and he was sending us off as missionaries and and we were good good missionaries too, you know, we were were the good guys. But I can remember Pastor Phil saying, yeah, we're going to send you to Russia and we're going to do this, that and the other. He says, oh, I don't know about the term missionary, you know, it's not, not a great term. I remember him saying that to me and I remember saying, we'll redefine the term. Missionary is a great word and it's not something to be ashamed of because if there're men and women who are bravely going out there we should be excited by that term and I love in Romans 1:16 it says this I am not ashamed of the gospel I'm not ashamed of the gospel I'm not ashamed to be known as someone who preaches the gospel. I'm not ashamed to be known as someone who celebrates the gospel. I'm not ashamed of someone who celebrates people who have preached the gospel, missionaries past and present. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last last, just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we are not ashamed of being full on gospel preaching Christians. This is the answer. The gospel is the answer. And I'm just, you know, we should be so excited by the gospel and excited by what these men and women did in Australia. So let's move on to other parts of the world. Obviously, the from the very beginning, again, the missionaries were sent out from Australia to all around the world. So, the missionaries ministered in India. There were early missionaries in China. There were several of them. There was a, you know, they had some issues in China with the Boxer Rebellion, and there was a whole number of Australian missionaries that were massacred in the Boxer Rebellion. There were missionaries in Korea. There was a period of time there, actually, where being a missionary was just. Very highly honoured in our society, around about the late 1870s, 1890s, and this one family, the Trudinger family of Adelaide, is an example of the indomitable missionary heart of Australia. So Mrs Trudinger had 12 children, six went to China with the China Inland Mission, Hudson Taylor, and two to the Sudan. Mrs. Trudinger expressed her disappointment that only eight of her children were missionaries. Bless her heart. Now, you've got to know that those days when you went off as missionaries, I mean, even when we went, people were like, are you taking the children? Are you taking the children to Russia? And I said, well, I'm, they've got plenty of kids in Russia, they survive, so I'm sure the kids will be okay, you know. But there is always, you know, there's there's that little frisson of fear that you can have when you go to a different nation, especially if the, um, you know, the medical situation isn't quite up to scratch, which I must admit it wasn't when we were there. Um, so, you know, your families have to handle it a little bit. But just... But that's nothing compared to what was back, you know, 100, 200 years ago. I mean, they would get killed and slaughtered. The the diseases were, were terrible. So many of these missionaries went and they lost children and they lost wives and often they lost their own lives. But they were just determined to serve Jesus. And that's the spirit that I love. And what a great mother... What a great mother. I want my children to serve God. Not, well, I'd like them to do law. It'd be great if they got into medicine. Or I want a really good trade. i not one of the lower trades. You know, really, you know, that's good to have ambition for your children. You know, I want them to get in the best soccer team. I want them to go to the best school. That's great. But we want our kids to be full on for Jesus. That's what we want. We want them to be on fire for Jesus. Bring them to church, guys, every single week. You don't want them wandering off in the world and doing nothing. What, what what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And what does it profit our children? Let's be sure that we are like Mrs. Trudinger and we want our children to be full on for Jesus. Because that is the best reflection of us as parents, that our kids are following Jesus. And I know not all our kids are following Jesus in this room, but they're not dead yet. Let's keep praying for them, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes kids go off and wander a bit, I know that. But we have to just keep praying for them and loving them and bring them back to Jesus. So, obviously, there was an especial interest in the Pacific nations being closest to us. And J. Edwin Orr, another historian, says, It is a tribute to the vigorous Christianity of Australia that within a generation of the transplanting of faith to the island continent, the Australians were manning missions to Polynesia and Melanesia, sharing in wonderful revivals and perfecting great people movements to Christ. So from the very beginning of the settlement of Australia, missionary societies in England, working with local Australians and... You know, when I say Australians, everybody considered themselves British in those days. So, you know, there was a well, – who's Australian and who's not? We'll we just claim all the good ones as Australian. <laughs> so, um, and so obviously they, they went out into this mission field on in the all around the South Pacific and New Zealand. And this is where it gets really exciting because this is where there, we probably saw the most fruit and the most revivals. One of my great heroes is John G. Patton, who was a missionary to Vanuatu. They called it New Hebrides in those days. And he went shortly after two other missionaries had gone. They landed on the island. They were immediately killed and eaten. So um, um, John G. Patton was very brave to go there with his wife and... Um, And he was warned by a certain, like a lot of people said, don't go, you're crazy. These people are crazy. They said, you will be eaten by cannibals, which he wrote a book about. And this is his response that was recorded to Mr. Dixon. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you, if I can but live and die serving and honouring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. (laughs) How cool is that? No difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or worms. What's the diff? Once you're dead, you're dead. I don't care. I will rise again. And I will serve Jesus with all my heart. And so I'm not going to go in too much to John G. Patton's. I've I've read his book. I mean, it's just like, They, they, they they hunted around his cabin. He would be in there praying and they were just, they were chanting and hunting around his cabin, ready to eat him. And just over and over again, he was rescued by just the grace of God. But there was just revival. There was an incredible revival that just swept across all these islands. It's just incredible. He was there on the island of Anatium in Vanuatu, and he saw eventually just this revival. And he then, he went through a lot of the islands and recorded, and these are some of the details that he records... On the island of Anaiti, I can't say it, but Anateum, in Vanuatu, three and a half thousand cannibals have been led to renounce their heathenism. In Fiji, seventy-nine thousand cannibals have been brought under the influence of the gospel. Thirteen thousand members of the churches are living for Jesus. In Samoa, thirty-four thousand cannibals have professed Christianity, and in nineteen years, its college has sent forth two hundred and six native teachers and evangelists. On our own New Hebrides, Vanuatu, more than 12,000 cannibals have been brought to sit at the feet of Christ. Though they're not all model Christians. (laughs) I love that he said that at the end. Such courage and bravery. I love that. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says this, Be on your guard, stand firm in faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Be courageous. Such courage that these people had. You know, we, um, we actually went on a holiday to the Cook Islands and it's very real to them, this history. On the Sunday, we went to church and um, I've been waiting about four, three or four years to say this quote because I just thought it was hilarious. So we're sitting in the church and the, the, the local pastor is preaching away about being full on for Jesus. And this is his, his exact quote. He says, um, he says, you were people who ate people. If God can change the cannibalism of your forefathers by his word, then he can change you. And I just went, what a great quote. I would love to be able to say, you guys just eat people. Now your parents have changed, you need to change. Like, whoa, like just whoa, how exciting. So they know their history and they, they celebrate it. They are so excited. Remember my first scripture. It's all very well to talk about the noble savage. But it's horrible. When you read about it, it was misery. It's darkness to know that at any moment your neighbor could kill you and eat you. That's not a happy way to live. And when you read about the, the, the dark, the thick darkness that was over these islands, they celebrated when the light came, when they no longer had to live in this thick, nasty, horrible fear. And it, didn't, it wasn't just murder that they had to put up with. It was all sorts of dreadful behaviours and, and child sacrifice. And if the husband died, oh, just kill the wife as well. Or just horrible, horrible. With no Jesus at all, it is thick darkness. That's what the Bible says. But by the end of the 1820s, the Cook Islands were effectively Christianized. They were effectively Christianized. Such extraordinary change in hearts and nations. Such courage, such power. It's just so amazing. So missionaries from Australia in Tonga, uh, Nathaniel Turner and William Cross from Sydney, reaped a harvest of souls in Tonga. The king, Tau Ahau, sorry, was converted in 1831. He renounced polygamy and said only his first wife, Charlotte, would be queen. Revival broke out around the islands. The king said, when I turn, they turn. <laughs> um, so... You know, it just spread right throughout the South Pacific, the Christianity. And even today, the people there are very Christian. Even today, that is obviously not everybody. But even today, you know, we saw just recently on that football team that it's the, the South Pacific Christians are strong in God. They pray before, before they play football. It's very much a part of their culture. And again, we celebrate that we as a nation were very much part of bringing the light to that dark place. Isaiah 9.2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. How very true. And once again, old Charles Darwin, who has never, ever been quoted in this church before and now has been quoted twice, he visited Tahiti, which, whose king also was converted and who also led had a major revival in Tahiti. And he said, um, he described the gospel as a potent force for civilization. He said the Tahitians were a merry people... And human sacrifices and infanticide had been abolished, dishonesty, intemperance and licentiousness was greatly diminished. The march of improvement, consequent on the introduction of Christianity through the South Seas, probably stands by itself in the records of the world." Darwin noticed that. He's travelling around. He goes, there's nothing like this. The change in nation after nation after nation in the South Pacific, where have we seen that before? In one generation, they've gone from horrible cannibals to full-on beautiful singing Christians. Incredible, incredible. Let me share with you about Samuel Marsden. Now, Samuel Marsden arrived in Australia in 1794 with his wife Elizabeth and eventually eight children. He was the second chaplain in New South Wales after Richard Johnson. He was also a very happening guy. He was a landowner. He raised sheep. He was the head of the Agricultural Society. He imported the first sheep to Britain, actually, before MacArthur. And I think he and MacArthur might have uh, sort of competed a little bit. But um, he, he was also a magistrate, which was probably, in terms of his... Uh, his um, what's the word? reputation wasn't probably the best thing, because in those days people got flogged if they did the wrong thing. So he was a magistrate overseeing people being flogged. And for some reason in our nation, he's not liked. He's generally not liked because he was the magistrate. It would have been probably better for his reputation not to do that. But Samuel Marsden sounds like a guy who just wanted to do everything. And he knew that law, needed, law and order needed to be organised, so he would be the magistrate and he would be in charge of that. But he has got a bad reputation generally however he he and and you know of course none of these guys are perfect i mean i don't know maybe he was a bit too strict i don't know that i i'm married to a pastor they're not perfect like you know <laughs> hey babe <laughs> like, so <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's not perfect. He's pretty good. So, you know, you can look at the the negatives if you want. But this guy was amazing. He would preach in the city on Sundays and then he would walk 15 miles to Parramatta to preach again. One time, he saw a, a convict plunge into the water. So Marsden immediately plunged in after him to rescue him. But then the convict tried to drown Marsden. Because he didn't like Marsden because he was convicted by his preaching in one of the sermons. So he decided that he would kill him. And he knew that if he fell into the water deliberately, Marsden would jump in because he was a good guy. So he jumps in the water to, to pretend to drown. Marsden jumps in to rescue him and then it says... They then had a desperate fight for survival as this guy's trying to drown Marsden. Turns out the convict, that he, he Marsden managed to pull them both out of the water. The convict was convicted and uh, became born again. He was saved. He became a local agent, actually, for the London Missionary Society. So... There's so many stories about Marsden like that, that I read that I just didn't know which ones to share, that I thought, oh no, this guy, he is happening. He's a good guy. Like, like, what a story is that? He's like, right, let's go. And then it was all on, so he rescued the guy. Marsden did a lot of other works. He started orphanages. He started uh, a place for women to go. He was concerned about women in Australia, the, the ones that didn't have protection. But his main heart was for the Maori of New Zealand. Now, how do you say it, Caleb? Maori, mouldy. Now they say mouldy. This Caleb's the expert. So, his his main heart was for them. He just had a heart for them. A lot of them were coming over to Sydney, so he was getting to know them. And the uh, New Zealand was one of the worst places at that time. The sailors wouldn't land there. They called it the Cannibal Isles. And it, there was there's record of sailors that were so sick with scurvy and so desperate to land, they said. No way, we're not landing there. They are—they uh, are a warlike people, but but Marston had a real heart for the for the Maori people, and he really wanted to bless them. And so he was praying about it. How, how could he go over? He said this about his friends: "The more I see of these people, the more I am pleased with them. They appear like a, a superior race of men." He he really loved them. He saw that they were a great people. So he went to London to, to raise a band of uh, ministers who would come and settle in New Zealand because there was only the occasional white people visiting with the whalers but he decided he need, they needed to get some missionaries there but none of them would go. It was just, it was the, the reputation was too bad. So he got some lay pastors, lay missionaries, William Hall, Thomas Kendall and John King. Later Henry and Marianne Williams as well. On the ship, on the way home to Sydney he came across King Ruatara who was very sick. King Ruatara had tried to get to England to visit the king of England and he had been abused and misused by the sailors He just went yeah right mate you can come but they didn't obviously look after him and he was very sick he was going to die this is such a god moment and Samuel Marsden with a heart for these people gathered him up and loved him and nursed him back to health then he took the king back to to Sydney, to his own home, they learned each other's language a little bit and now they were friends. So, now he was ready to go. He evi- finally sent King Ru- Rua... What's his name? Rua... <coughs> Ru- Rua Tara. <coughs> <Sorry. coughs> he sent him back to New Zealand and King Ruatara Tara said, I will look after you, I will be your protector which he knew he needed. So he th- he now had his missionaries, he had a king, he couldn't get a ship, there was no captain who would sail there. And the reason that they wouldn't sail there was because only five years earlier an English ship, the Boyd, had anchored in Fangaroa, I think that's how you say it. Um and before they even landed, the war canoes went out and Killed sixty-seven of the crew and ate them, and two women and a boy were sold into slavery. So no one wanted to go there because you couldn't even you couldn't even stop your boat, you know. <laughs> um, so no, sh- so he bought with his own money. Samuel Marsden bought a ship, the Active, and they set sail for New Zealand. Ah, such bravery. Joshua 1, 6, Be strong and very courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. How courageous is Samuel Marsden and these men to go to those islands, to New Zealand? And so they did. On December the 22nd, 1814, they landed in Whangaroa near the Bay of Islands and they were decided to go aboard they went aboard but of course they had it organized that the king was there to meet them he said you'll be okay but there was a whole crowd apparently he was down there and all around the hills were all these native New Zealanders ready to kill them and they used to have wars with each other so Samuel Marsden said that he went down and he decided we're going to spend the night on shore he said, I was not afraid. We were prepared to go ashore to publish for the first time in New Zealand the glad tidings of the gospel. However, he said, I didn't sleep much. <laughs> On Christmas Day, King Ruatara gathered all the Maoris together and they had a service translated by Ruatara and partly spoken in Maori by Samuel Marsden. And his message was Luke 2.10, fear fear not. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. Fear not, don't you be afraid. And he was, he said, I preached it to myself. Don't be afraid. This is good news for you. This is the news that you need. And this is for all people. And his heart was, This is for the New Zealanders as well. So after settling the mission on, on the island, missionaries on the island, he returned to Sydney and and, you know, now there's a whole history of those missionaries, of their success and failures and all that they did. And you can go to New Zealand and go and visit that first settlement, as Chris and I did. And it's a fabulous place. It was com- almost completely empty and it was very hard to find. And there you see all the little plaques and they talk about this guy and what these ones did and this family. They started a school and this one did that and how gradually, gradually, not not quickly... Not quickly at all, but gradually, gradually, they started to see results. Probably more in the next generation than that generation. And, um, and eventually, after many years, revival broke out and really broke out amongst the Maoris, like it was just so exciting to read and there were just thousands and thousands of them that became saved and it's a big long story but it began with that courage of those early missionaries from England and Australia who who went there. Oh look at that, who put that up there? Oh okay, no mucking around. So, when you go there, um, the governor, in 1907, the governor of New Zealand unveiled this cross to the memory of Samuel Marsden. And there it is, and we visited that. But you know the scary part is that when I came back and I said this story to the New Zealanders, to Linda and to Caleb, you told me you'd never heard that story. Is that right? Neither of you have ever heard about the first white settlers that landed and settled in New Zealand. They said, I don't know about it. Terrible, absolutely terrible. Do not believe the lies of, you really want to share something? Great, so you were one of, okay, great, an early settler. So the reason that we need to share these stories is because the world isn't going to do it. They don't want to give honour to the Christians. All they want to say is Samuel Marsden. no, he was a bad guy. Leave it at that. They in New Zealand he is actually well honoured, but but not there are colleges and places named after him, but not in Australia. But we need to know our own history and we need to be excited about it because it inspires us. What are we gonna do in our generation? Because the world will say nothing. They'll just, just 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 cut it off from the history. I've literally read histories of New Zealand and they go duh, 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 and there's just nothing. And then they go to the treaty. Nothing. It's, it's it's truly shocking. The world is they 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 lie about history, and they and they um, what's that? I can't remember the word. They can't remember. They change history. Revisionists. Yes. Samuel Marsden visited New Zealand many many times, and when the revival broke out, especially, he 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 was he was loved and treated as a hero. His final visit, he was very old. And and he went around to all the different mission stations and all the different Christians. And there's a story about an old chief who sat and talked to him and then just gazed at him. He just gazed at him. And a bystander rebuked him and said, "Um, what are you doing? Stop staring at him. And these were his words. Leave me alone. Let me take a long last look. For I shall never again see the one. (laughs) I shall never again see the one by whose lips God sent me the blessed news of salvation. He just wanted to stare at him. He just wanted to look at this man that brought the gospel to him. That the last time that he left, thousands, it says thousands came to see him off and he was carried to his ship on their shoulders as he looked for the last time on New Zealand, sorry, stop it, he said, he looked around and he said, look what God has done. So three years later, Bishop Augustus Selwyn in 1841, after um, after Samuel had died, said, We see here a whole nation of pagans converted to the faith. Thousands upon thousands of people, young and old, have received new hearts. They're offering up daily their morning and evening prayers and valuing the word of God above every other gift. All, in a, to a greater or lesser degree, are bringing forth some fruits and showing the influence of the Holy Spirit. What a marvellous demonstration of the power of God. So, that was Samuels Marsden with Australian missionaries and English missionaries and that's the sort of work that has happened in our country and praise God then in New Zealand and then New Zealanders of course took up the flame and carried it on and it's just so exciting what God has done in our past and these men and women of God, we need to be inspired by them inspired by their courage inspired by their zeal we need to remember these testimonies Because they're really powerful and it's our history. And we need to be excited to to tell our children about these people so that our kids will take on the banner now. Because it doesn't stop. History doesn't stop. In a hundred years, what will they say about us, you know? So let me encourage all of you to be missionaries. To not be afraid. To stand up against the fear of contradicting modern science. It's so wrong. Believe me. So much of modern science is still very, very wrong. Even in my lifetime, I, sometimes I hear something they say something and I think, no, that's not true. It just bugs me, I can tell it's not true. And then 10 years later, oh, scientists have discovered after all, it's not true. I'm like, I knew that. I knew it. So there's so many things. We need to not be afraid. If the Word of God says one thing, that's what we believe. Not if the science contradicts it, because science is a moving thing. We need to not be afraid of standing up against ridicule and modern morals we need not to be afraid to serve, give and pour out our lives for the gospel. We might not be written about in the history books here on earth, but there are history books in heaven. And we want to have our book, our name in those books, not just as saved, but a nice big chunk, you know? Saved and da, 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 all our deeds that we did for Jesus, because nothing else will survive except what we did for Jesus. So let's be missionaries, like these great missionaries before us. Let's be missionaries to the families on the Central Coast, to the tradies, to our neighbours, to the students in our schools. Be a missionary. Let's be missionaries to the Chinese on the North Shore, to the children of Lake Cajelago, to the people of Bali, Vietnam, Russia. Let's pray, let's give, and let's go. Amen.